0: hello and welcome to the ap top 25 college football podcast i'm ralph russo the college football writer with the associated press and the college football season is over that's a little sad and it certainly ended in a little bit of an anticlimactic fashion though an amazing fashion for georgia the bulldogs won a second straight championship with an historic blowout of tcu less than 12 hours before we started recording this at SoFi Stadium in the college football playoff national championship game. It was the Bulldogs 65 and TCU 7. There was never a doubt Kirby Smart's team is back-to-back national champions. We will put a bow on the 2022 season and look ahead a little bit to the 2023 season. There's not that whole lot to, ana- to, to analyze about last night's game and we'll do it in a unique fashion today hard to find guests as people scatter across the country, heading home, heading to the NCAA convention, uh, heading out of Los Angeles. So I'm going to ride solo today. Hope you enjoy it. We will be a relatively brief podcast today, but I definitely wanted to get something out to y'all to wrap up the season and wrap up last night's game. So I'm on my own today. I hope you can. Uh, I hope you don't mind. Again, it will be relatively brief. I've got a few things I wanted to say about Georgia, about college football in general, and maybe about playoff expansion. But we will try to hit on a few things here. Uh, monologue style, on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and rating. helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find college football fans. And away we go. And, of course, now we're back. So last night, Georgia wins 65-7. Uh, In a game that I think a lot of people expected to be lopsided. I mean, it was a 12 and a half point spread. And I think um, I know I would have suggested taking uh, given laying those points. Uh, I did so in print. And I think my final score was something along the lines of 42-24. So I don't think who won surprised anybody. Um, I don't think a blowout surprised anybody. But anytime you get quite literally... The most lopsided postseason game, bowl season game, if you want to be a little more uh, precise, bowl season game in the history of college football, that is going to be startling. And of course, raise the questions about whether TCU should have been, you know, what? whether TCU is overrated or TCU is a fraud and how good is Georgia and was a real national championship game last week because they, Georgia nearly beat Ohio state. And I guess what I would say to all of that is, I don't know if I really care that much about all of that. Georgia is the national champion. They played a perfect game. They are now what Alabama has been, right? They are the best players and the best coached players. That combination of we have the best players and we have the best coaching is very hard to beat. Uh, and especially when you're a team like TCU, which has good coaches and good players, but it just gets overwhelmed. So we saw the very best of Georgia last night. Maybe in some ways, Georgia you know, stared into the abyss against a, a very good Ohio State team. And as Kirby Smart said last night, why do we need to learn from a loss? Why does it have to be a loss that allows us to learn? Can't we just learn and win all the win all the time? Georgia faced, you know, again faced the cliff, nearly fell off against Ohio State. Uh, I, I suspect that might have been, you know, I coaches like to say it got their attention but I do have a feeling it may have tapped into Georgia to a certain degree to uh to get the next level performance to 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 tighten up some of those details and boy it all came down on TCU a TCU squad that again was played a you know punched above its weight for most of the season a very good team um that was extended, maxed out its roster under Sonny Dykes and had a lot of things fall into place, played a very good game. You know, I, I don't think I, I think there is going to be a a temptation to say TCU's victory against Michigan was a little bit of a fluke now that we're going to retrofit that into being that like that, you know we're going to concentrate a lot on the the two pick sixes and the failed red zone attempts by Michigan. But if you look at the way that game played out and who moved the ball better and more efficiently, TCU deserved to win that game and was the better team. Now, all that said, if I'm sitting around Tuesday afternoon in Ann Arbor or, you know, Monday night watching that game in Columbus, I'm if I am Michigan or Ohio State, I'm really finding myself like just banging my head against a desk thinking, boy, we really blew it. Because if you're Michigan, you find yourself thinking like, how did we lose to that team? And again, that's a little bit of a slight to to TCU, but you'll, you'll, you'll relitigate that game. You'll go over every mistake and find yourself thinking, boy, like we had such a great opportunity to get to the national championship game. And if you're Ohio state, you're, you're thinking, oh my gosh, if we make a field goal, we win the national championship. Maybe that's overstating both of those things, uh, but I imagine there's a lot of regret in Big Ten country this morning. Uh, Nothing but celebration for Georgia. Um, And again, Georgia played its best game against a team that just could not handle its best game. Credit to Georgia on a couple of different fronts here. Uh, and why Georgia is now a burgeoning dynasty and why Georgia is now what Alabama used to be. That doesn't mean Alabama can't continue to challenge Georgia, but it's a little different. I think the fact that Kirby Smart won this year more with offense and listen, the defense was awesome last year. It was awesome. A, a good chunk of the year was especially good yesterday against TCU, but this was more of an offensive team. I think was also in some ways a nod Um uh, to by Kirby Smart to the idea that, like, this is an offensive era, you have to be able to play big time offense. And they played big time offense. He got Todd Monkin uh, to create an interesting, diverse, and cre- uh, creative and dynamic offense uh, and build it around a quarterback who's a you know, a three star who's probably going to have you know, be a career backup in the NFL. And I do think at this point, Stetson Bennett probably look is looking like a guy who could bounce around the NFL for a while. So, last year Georgia wins with a historically good defense, and this year Georgia wins with a really potent offense, which suggests to me that this is built to last. Uh, There's no reason why this is going anywhere. He has proven, just like his his mentor Nick Saban, we can win different ways. We can change with the team that we have, and we can change with the times. Why else does Georgia most likely? uh, Why else does Georgia seem to be built to last? You know, in, interesting, obviously, a lot of us, me, including a lot of people last night wrote something similar of like, you know, I use the expression, George is the new bully on the block, right? They have replaced Alabama at the top of the sport. And you could say that that happened last year, but it's one thing that when it happens once, it's another thing when it happens two years in a row and you clearly become the standard in the sport. So. What's interesting to me about Georgia and Alabama going forward, or actually let's look back for a second, Georgia, because Alabama went through this with Clemson, right? There was a four-year period where Clemson beat them twice for national championships and were about a four or five-year period. And they played you know, four times in a row. They played three national championship games. They played four times. Clemson won two of the national championship games. And for a while, it seemed like Clemson and Alabama were 1 and 1A in college football. Right now, it feels more like Georgia's one and Alabama's two. I think even I think you couldn't, even though Clemson won those games, Clemson won those games and deservedly so, and deservedly and well, you know, and, and a remarkable national champion. You could tell the way Clemson was built that they were not quite built like Alabama. You know, Clemson was something of an anomaly, right, in In this era in that it was recruiting great, but it was also had a very high hit rate and it was very reliant on transcendent quarterback play um, between Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Clemson seems to have fallen off now, but Clemson was never quite built like Bama. Uh, it was a different model and it had great success and was able to take down Bama but it was never really built like Bama, where Georgia is very much built like Bama, but with also the advantages inherent in Georgia that may even position them to be a little better than Bama going forward. And that's going to be the interesting dynamic moving forward with those two rivals. For years, Alabama built up a system where it had all the advantages over its rivals because of the way it, Invested in the way it was built, and the staffing, and things along those lines, and just also creative leadership under Nick Saban, and creative organization, and 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 pushing the envelope in the way in the way a college football organization is run, right? Um, Kirby took all those things from Alabama, but also understood that there were some inherent advantage, inherent advantages at Georgia that Alabama didn't have. First of all, there's more players in the state of Georgia. You're near a major metro area, um, which allows you to be a little more of an allure maybe to some players from around the country that uh, might have been interested in going to Alabama. So I think Georgia – you know, I remember talking to Kirby about this for a story during the season. I think he saw that there were ways that Alabama – ways that Georgia had advantages over Alabama – now that doesn't mean that Georgia will continue to be ahead of Alabama. We'll get into that a little bit uh, in a second. But I do think that for the first time, unlike with Clemson, Alabama now faces some uh, faces a program, faces a challenger that actually has some inherent advantages over it where Alabama has to play catch up now to Georgia because again, they can't create a population in Alabama with more football players they don't have dominion over those football players in the way that Georgia does in its state. They can't create a city like Atlanta, 90 minutes away from Tuscaloosa, that's going to have a major airport. It, it makes it more alluring for, for players to come there because they can get in and out with their families uh, and maybe makes it a little easier for you to do some traveling as far as recruiting is concerned. It also just an allure of being near a major city, right? Um, not to mention, You know, no offense to Tuscaloosa, but Athens is probably a little nicer town than Tuscaloosa. There could be even some advantages in NIL, right, Uh, and what Georgia can raise and what Alabama can raise. And that will be one of the interesting things moving forward when you look at at Georgia and Alabama uh, and the rivalry going forward. Who can command this new landscape better? maybe that's the thing that prevents georgia from being the next alabama not necessarily because alabama prevents georgia from being the next alabama but because the entire landscape of the sport changes and nil becomes more important and transfer portal and those help spread the talent farther and wider away from the sec to a certain degree those things haven't been effect for long enough for us to see what their long-term effects are so maybe there's a landscape issue here with the way college sports is becoming more professionalized that prevents Georgia from being Alabama. And not to mention the fact that Alabama did it for 12 years and you know for more than a decade and won six championships. So that's going to be really hard. I understand Alabama fans getting up in my mentions and being like, hey, hey, they've got two, we've got six. Let's not replace us yet. I also think it'll be super interesting next year when we clearly enter the season with Georgia as the number one team in the country in the preseason. And Alabama coming back with a team that, You know, listen, it's it's built on all four and five stars. They'll be at the very top of the talent composite, maybe behind Georgia or maybe maybe who knows, maybe maybe even a step behind Ohio State or maybe not. Maybe they'll be at the very top. But regardless, Alabama will have to one of the three most talented rosters in the country, probably one of the top two. But when you look at the depth chart and who's coming back next year, you don't see any obvious stars, like obvious, like. Clearly, Bryce Young, Will Anderson type stars, but even the past, Tua type stars and Devontae Smith type stars and Najee Harris type stars. And, you know, there are no guys you will walk into. There are very few players on Alabama's roster next year that you will look at and say that guy is a potential top five pick. Now, that doesn't mean they can't develop into them the next wave of stars might very well be on that roster. That roster right now and that starting lineup for, you know, projected starting lineup for 2023 may end up producing five first-round picks because that's the type of talent that Alabama's roster is constructed with. And Nick Saban sitting on that set last night hearing David Polley talk about how George is basically talking about what we, what so many of us wrote last night, which is how George is the new standard in the sport. I'm sure that that will help Alabama a lot too. I'm sure Nick Saban will take a lot of that home to Tuscaloosa and put it on a billboard and they will work out to that all next year. There is talent there. There is still great coaching there. There is still Alabama and Nick Saban there. So and I don't think they've gone more than three years during this great run without winning a national championship. And my guess is they will probably start next season somewhere around. I don't know. I'm going to say maybe number four in the country. And it might be a little bit of a benefit of a doubt for um, maybe even three, four five. You know, they haven't finished. They haven't started a season lower than number three. Alabama since 2010 so maybe they might you know fall through that floor and end up at four or five next season because they just don't have the established stars but um you know, again, my, my my buddy Paul Meyerberg from USA Today pointed it out. It's been, you know, throughout this run, they usually don't go more than three years without winning a national championship. So I'm going to assume that Alabama has got a pretty damn good chance of winning a national championship next year. And that will be the interesting thing about college football over the next couple of years is can we what happens with this Alabama Georgia rivalry? Does Georgia take its inherent Strength, its inherent advantages, and actually manage to pull away a little bit from Alabama, or is this simply just a one-year deal, or or the or the beginning of a three or four or five more years of these two teams banging heads against each other? Listen, Kirby Smart is forty-seven, Nick Saban is seventy-two, if I remember correctly. So you know the window may be closing on that part of the rivalry too in the near future. And we'll see what the rest of the landscape of college football provides. Plus a new playoff system means there's a chance, who knows, maybe there'll be a bunch of Alabama, Georgia national championship games or semifinal games that we never would have had in this system uh, because they would have either knocked each other off. I mean, we've had a couple of them, but maybe we'll have a bunch, bunch more in the upcoming years. Is it that? Is it tit for tat? Is it Alabama's one, Georgia's two, Georgia's two, Alabama's one, they sort of go back and forth over the next few years? Or does Georgia manage to in some ways pull away? Now, again, theres I don't think there's any real evidence of that, even though Alabama lost two games this year. Alabama also just signed the best recruiting class in the country and I think was like the number two recruiting class in the country next year. Um, so don't write off Alabama, but I do think Georgia is sort of the new standard and has some inherent advantages for being at Georgia that I believe have a chance to make it different from Clemson and Alabama, where Clemson Clemson and Alabama were one and one A. I think Georgia and Alabama now are one Georgia, two Alabama, and that's a little different than we've seen before. As for the rest of the season, it was a really great season in college football. And I I said this a little bit last year when the season ended with a a more interesting Alabama-Georgia national championship game, but two blowouts in the semifinals to get to that game. And we talked about how, oh, that sort of felt inevitable. It was just going to be Alabama and Georgia. And again, we may be seeing uh, walking into a a next couple of years where it's all going to seem inevitable with Alabama and Georgia. I do think that we need to move away from being so focused on the national championship that in some ways it feels like it diminishes the season. The day tennis, Georgia beat Tennessee and Alabama lost to LSU, I was pretty damn sure that Georgia was going to win the national championship, but it didn't necessarily take away from the rest of the season. The rest of the season was a great ride with some very interesting conference races and some surprises and two amazing semifinal games. I, I think that there's we are we are in an era where there are so few teams that can win the national championship. So to look through the look at college football through the keyhole of the national championship and who's going to win the national championship, I think diminishes your enjoyment of college football. I think it's more and more than ever. College football is about the journey and not the destination, the destination being the national championship game. If if we we're probably going to know, if I can sit here right now on January 10th and be pretty confident that I can tell you the 2023 national champion is most likely going to be Georgia, Alabama. Maybe there's an outside shot for Ohio state. And let's just throw a, I don't know, a 2% chance that some other really good sec team, it all falls into place. Maybe it's LSU, but I doubt it for next year or Texas A&M somehow figures it all out. And maybe they roll the dice, but I just don't like, I don't, uh, if if knowing that and feeling that that is a foregone conclusion takes away from your enjoyment of the sport, I kind of I kind of think that's on you. <laughs> I kind of think that's on you more than anything else. I, I don't think that could take away your enjoyment from the sport. Life is full of ifs. If you see potential in every day, if you push for that promotion, and even bigger ifs like if you say I do. If you can cash flow like a pro and get paid up to two days early, if you can safeguard against surprises and supercharge your savings, the if in life becomes less iffy. Regions Life Banking makes it possible. If you're interested. Let's talk about the if in life. Regions Bank, embrace the if in life. Regions Bank, member FDIC. I think one of the reasons why they are expanding the playoff is not because we need to figure out a better way to crown a champion. I think the reason why the playoff is being expanded is to create a more interesting postseason along the way, right? Because there's a whole bunch of New Year Six games now that are interesting now, but would be a far more interesting if they had higher stakes applied and the higher stakes created more reason for the top players to play in them. I think we're still going to end up with the same type of national champions. I think we're still going to end up with some blowouts, but we'll go from three playoff games to 11 playoff games. And my suspicion is out of those 11 playoff games in a good year, we'll have seven or eight that are competitive. We'll lose competitive pretty loosely, but, you know, competitive being like not determined um, by the fourth quarter, even if they are, end up being, you know, 14, you know, 17 point games. Um so my guess is in a good year, you'll probably get seven or eight of those playoff games that will be competitive. And in a bad year, you'll probably get maybe only four or five. Um, some my guess is in most years, you'll get a couple of classics. But I still think that will be better than what we have now, which is we don't get very often very competitive playoff games. We've never seen a competitive a year where there were three competitive playoff games. Um, and we have a bunch of supposedly big games new year six games that are supposed to involve the other best teams in the country that have become very much diminished bowl season is generally still fun bowl season generally produces some pretty great games but bowl season lacks some of the pop it could have because not enough games have stakes and players bail out, and that will still be a problem at the next tier of bowl games. But I think having 11 games with high stakes involving top teams creates more opportunities to have really good postseason games. I think a great regular season, unfor- I think a great regular season deserves a better postseason than we have right now. So. That's my, I don't know how exactly I steered into a, a playoff rant, but that's my playoff rant. And that's what we have. So that that's where we are now in college football. We head towards the 2023 season, kind of knowing who's going to be number one to start, having a pretty good idea of who's going to contend for a national championship. But the fun thing is, just like this season, not knowing much else. The final AP regular season college football poll came out Right after soon after the game, only a couple of hours, I guess, when there was blowout, people voted a little early Um, and Georgia obviously was number one. TC was number two, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee, top six. Um, But I think one of the interesting things about what what came out in the poll was that there were only 10 teams that began the season ranked, finished it ranked. So 15 teams in the preseason poll ended up falling out and never getting back in or never getting back in by the end of the season. So 15 teams started the season ranked, finished it unranked. Texas a Oklahoma, Baylor, Miami, Wisconsin, Arkansas, among them. The season before that, 14 teams started the season ranked and finished it unranked. Those are both records. Those are both anomalies, or at least they have been. Maybe it's a trend now. Usually, you'll get ten, about ten teams that start the season ranked and finish it unranked. So you get about fifteen teams that stay in, that start in and end up in. Uh, in the last two years, we've now had twenty-nine teams that you know started ranked, ended up unranked. Is that a trend? Does it have to do with? Transfer portal? Does it have to do with um, players playing earlier? Does it have to do with myriad coaching changes? Um, Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, again, two-year sample doesn't necessarily mean. Maybe the maybe the voters just did a very bad job. But a two-year sample isn't necessarily enough to determine if we have a real trend here. I suspect, though, it might be telling. And I think what it might be telling us is, again everything else seems harder to predict. The the very top of the sport seems a little boring right now because I think we can see it. We can see from a long distance who is at the top of the sport and how that will be determined. But it does seem like once you get past that very top tier, everything else is really muddled. And that's fun. I think we will go into next season very much like this season, thinking that we have one or two teams that we maybe three. Remember, it's still be a four team playoff next year. So I think we'll go into next season thinking okay, it's going to be Georgia, it's going to be Alabama. Maybe LSU will challenge Alabama, but we'll see what else happens in the SEC West we'll still know Ohio State is good and we think Michigan will be pretty good and then the rest of the country is going to be kind of up in the air and of course there'll be favorites but i think there'll be enough uncertainty around the rest of the country to absolutely enjoy the ride and i think that's again another reason why when we get into a 12 game 12 team playoff there'll be a lot of uncertainty and that second tier i think that will still keep keep up i'm hoping that the top tier expands a little bit and the the teams at the top tier thin out a little bit i think that would be best for the sport but at the very least but at the very least i think that we are in a period now with a lot of uncertainty from year to year except at the very top so enjoy the ride enjoy the ride. That's all I can say about college football. The last couple of years have been kind of zany and a little unpredictable, and we've seen some crazy results. But then in the end, we found ourselves going, yep, we kind of figured that was going to be the case. I kind of figured that team was going to win the national championship. Don't let that take away from the rest of the season, the way you enjoy the sport. I think that's all I got to say for today, folks. So with that, folks, I think we are going to wrap up. Uh, or I am going to wrap up. I'm so used to saying we, and today, again, we decided to do this thing solo because there were not a lot of folks around to help us out. And I just figured I definitely wanted to get you a podcast to wrap up the season. Um, and if I had to do it on my own, darn it, I was going to do it on my own. So I hope you didn't mind the monologue. I want to thank you, as always, for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I want to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for always making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. As for coming episodes, we are definitely going to keep the show rolling throughout the off season. I will say, I just want to prepare you, we might take a few more breaks Than we have in past years, Um, just to give myself a little bit of a mental health break, (laughs) but we will mostly be coming to you weekly. I will try to give you a heads up if there are times when we can't come to you. And if we're going to take a little break, I will try to prepare you for that uh, as best I can. But for the most part, we will roll through the offseason because really there is no offseason in college football anymore between transfers and spring football. And, you know, the coaching carousel never seems to stop. And there's all kinds of policy changes. And we'll have to see where NIL is going and things along those lines. So keep listening to the AP Top 25 college football podcast. We'll be coming at you weekly. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more. Yeah, next week. We'll definitely do one next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.